everybody, and welcome to Savvy Tidbits. Well, I've been thinking about a few things a fair amount lately, and no, those things are not knitting. This is not an episode about knitting. I've been thinking of a couple weird things, and I've learned a bit about these things because I'm having trouble sleeping, and there's the internet with this font of knowledge and Ravelry. <laughs> but I have been learning a little bit about these things that have been on my mind, and I thought I would share these things with you. And yes, I know they're kind of random, but hey, sometimes I'm a random kind of girl. So I was visiting Savvy Mom recently, and a bunch of us were watching home videos. So home videos of Savvy Bro taking of the dogs when he was a kid, videos of Deborah's bat mitzvah, videos of all sorts of things, all held by a camera that was fairly shaky. And I was enjoying the videos, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I was basically curled up in a ball on the ground just basically wanting to die. A couple days before I went to the park, I thought I would do something whimsical and go on the swing because swings, hey, they're fun. And I bet if a kid can swing, an adult can really swing. So there I was swinging on the swing and I was going higher and higher and I closed my eyes for just a second and all of a sudden it came over me, the feeling that all I wanted to do is curl up in a ball on the ground and wait to die, which made getting off the swing really pathetic and really hard and it was probably not one of my best moments. There may have been tears and moaning. Anyway, so I'm thinking, what? What is this? Why am I getting carsick over the most random things? Don't even start what I've been when I was on a boat when Deborah and I were in the Galapagos. That another not my finest moment. When I see movies held with a shaky camera, same thing. When I play video games, I'm fine. Not that I play them much, but back when Nintendo, Super Nintendo, a lot of them I was fine. Not fine all of a sudden and just curled up in a ball, waiting to die on the ground. So I was wondering, what? What is this? Why me? And I looked it up, and I realized that it isn't just me, that there are various kinds of motion sickness. And these are under two categories, the motion that is felt but not seen, like car sickness or air sickness, and motion that is seen but not felt, like video games, or they even listed home movies. But what was really interesting is that what causes, the thing that causes motion sickness in the first place, a part of the brain called the area postrema, not sure how they pronounce that in the brain, it's responsible for inducing vomiting when it detects poison. Because brains are cool and bodies work in miraculous ways. And the body feels, or the brain feels, that if, if things are occurring, if, if you think you're moving and your body isn't, or you think you're not moving and actually you are, such as if you're in a boat, you must be hallucinating and really you've just got to puke it out. And hence, motion sickness. So I don't know, I just, I had never thought that it's it's your body trying to protect you. And I certainly will be in a ball on the floor waiting to die again pretty soon. Next time we watch home movies or something, who knows, or in that last airplane. But it is at least interesting to know what is behind it. Now, I've been reading a lot of books on Gutenberg, the online site of free literature, which by the way, giant, I, I prefer to hold a book, but it's just a giant font of some really wonderful books and some less wonderful books. But I've been reading through some authors mostly that write books for schoolgirls in Victorian era in Britain, for the most part, sometimes all the way up to the First World War. And the author I am currently, into whom I am currently delving, I believe her name is L.T. Mead. Her books reflect a certain time. There is definitely racism, often against those of my ilk, in those books, lots of those books. However, I 
do still enjoy them and and they are there's there's a lot of religious parable also so some of the books are a little heavy on the whole religion thing however she's written i think something like 70 books and i'm through most of them they're a quick read there's something if i'm bored or if i'm waiting just click on my phone and read a little while on these books but the thing i've noticed with these books and i i had i had perceived this in other books too that often people talk about first sleep and second sleep and at first i was a little confused and then i started reading about it and i think it's very interesting that in pre pre-industrial england and actually all the way up through the victorian era and not just in england people's sleep patterns involved a nap in the afternoon so you take a nap you would go to bed earlier than here because you'd have candles and the sun would go down, especially in the winter. So you'd sleep for a couple of hours. You'd wake up for a couple of hours and write some letters or reflect on things or pat your cat. And then you'd go back to sleep for the rest of the night. This is called segmented sleep or bimodal sleep pattern or interrupted sleep, but it, it's a thing. And apparently this is how human bodies function the best sleep-wise. And clearly now we stay up later. We have electric light. The miracle. Thank you, everyone. Edison, who I think someone else said he did it first. But whoever managed to make that lamp over there turn on, thank you, or I would be asleep. There are definitely two distinct phases of sleep, and they're bridged by an intervening period of wakefulness for about an hour, maybe two hours. People would actually do this first sleep, and then they would wake up and often interpret their dreams or write about their dreams because they were vivid because you're not falling into a deep sleep at that time. Also, poets would tend to write during that hour. <laughs> Look, according to Wikipedia, it said, others visited neighbors, engaged in sex, or committed petty crime. So clearly there are lots of options for what one could do during that hour. Also, apparently, the nocturnal waking period, so that hour you're awake in segmented sleep, the hormone prolactin is released. And prolactin is the hormone that is released when one has an orgasm. So apparently sleeping a couple hours and getting up and, I don't know, committing petty crime is just as good as sex. Who knew? Or you could write a poem. So that is segmented sleep. And I would, I'd be interested in trying it. It's probably better than staying up till 3.30 as I do and then not sleeping. But... It is an interesting concept, and what is even more interesting in that people don't even think about it. It's one of those historic things that is it's been completely lost as far as popular culture, and I think it's a really interesting concept. It, it would be interesting to try. Not the petty crime, Mom. I'm not gonna. Uh oh, maybe you could knit in the in the interim. That would re also release uh, prolactin, maybe, and then it would be an extra good hour. Yeah, so there's that. Now, the third thing, and I bring on the hate mail, I've already used the word sex in this. However, I was looking at my little sparrow, Colette, the other day. She's so cute. She's the cutest bird. I could just talk about her forever. But I was, I was debating with Savvy Mom that if Colette were to lay an egg, would we actually eat it? Because, hey, it doesn't have a baby in it. It'd just be a little eggy, and it would, we could make a little mini omelet. She'd probably eat it herself. And mom, mom was making all sorts of grimaces about this. I don't think she approves of, of a bird eating their own egg. Are you eating her egg? But all of a sudden, it dawned on me. 
how's the egg gonna get out? Seriously, the bird doesn't have a second hole. She's got one hole. You can't see it all that well, but there's only one hole that does anything. It's her little pooper, and she poops out of it all the time, everywhere. And I thought, what? What? So then I looked up. My poor search history. Just don't, don't even. My search history is so sad. I looked up, do birds have vaginas? That was uh, my search history. And apparently, they don't. Apparently, the bird has a thing called the cloaca, which derives from the Latin word for sewer. Single hole. Everything comes out of there. Everything goes into there. Cloaca. Now, girl birds have a cloaca? And male birds, most of them also have a cloaca. Yes, birds don't have penises. Some do. Ducks do. If you've ever seen that video of a duck penis, it is the most terrifying video. Look it up. Just look up duck penis and you will see this thing. And So ducks do. Um, other, maybe geese do. I just, I just know about that duck. But... Actually, sparrows and most, not just many, most other birds don't. And for the little boy birds, they hide their other little boy parts inside. And essentially, they have what is called a cloacial kiss, where the two holes touch and sort of rub and sperm is transferred. And then the bird makes a little baby bird. And that's where collect comes from. But... First off, I can't believe I've never thought about this before, but wh where's that second hole? And and second, really, that's some pretty good engineering, that it's the hole that does everything. So it's sort of like those interchangeable needles. It just does everything. <laughs> just like the cloaca. Someone should have, make some cloaca, cloaca needles, and those are just the needles that go in, they go out, they crochet, who knows? So those are maybe three very unrelated things. And yes, this is what I've been thinking of lately because I need to write a show. And when I have a show to write, I think of everything but writing the show. And yes, so there we go. Tune in next week for part two of the travel episode. I can't wait. And in the meantime, don't Google your bird. They can't help it. Let them just use their hole. <laughs>